Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good evening. Welcome to Good Friday. As I've reflected on this day, as many of you have, you know about the deep irony that characterizes the first, uh, an irony on Friday. The term deed doesn't impose uh, an irony on the phrase, and the irony poses to us an important question. What is good about Good Friday? When we approach this service, we approach it with questions like these. Have you ever noticed that it's not just this service, but also our lives that are dominated by asking questions? We devote much of our lives trying to answer our own questions and the questions that life poses to us. Maybe your questions are, am I going to be in this job forever? Will I ever get into college? Will I ever find a spouse? Maybe it's just a simple question of what's next, or what would life be like if fill in the blank? We spend much of our time, our energy, our anxiety pursuing answers to such questions. Sometimes we even pose these questions to God himself. Like, why has this thing happened to me? Why did that person walk away from us? Why did that opportunity not work out? And why does life always seem to be against us? We wonder why we're stuck in horrible situations, why we're struck with diseases, We wonder why things happen to us. And these questions dominate our thinking and our waking hours. When we come to Good Friday, to the passage that was just read, we're faced with another set of questions as well. Maybe some questions that the disciples themselves had. Why is this happening to our Messiah? Why do the authorities want to attack us? Maybe some of them thought, why are we stuck here in fear? Why did Judas betray us? What if this isn't the Messiah? Or maybe even still, what will we do when he's gone? Questions are important, and in our passage today, John 18 and 19, it's, a chapters, it's chapters full of questions. In fact, there are 22 questions asked within John 18 and 19. 22. That's a lot of questions. So there's some pretty important questions in these stories, and listen as I read some of them to us. Who are you looking for? You are not also one of his disciples, are you? So, you are a king. What is truth? Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? The questions asked in these chapters are, of course, asked by different characters. Peter is interrogated as to his relationship with Jesus. Pilate examines Jesus 
on the nature of his kingship and on the question of what is really true. Jesus asks a question too, a couple in this chapter. And one of the questions that he asks is the question that underlies all of our activities here and animates our life today as a church. Who are you looking for? It's the question that echoes all the way from the cross to us today. Who is it that you're looking for? Each character in these scenes were looking for something other than what Jesus actually was and is. For Judas, Jesus was the betrayer of his national hopes and dreams. For Peter, Jesus, of course, Jesus is not someone who needs to be violently defended. And of course, this comes at a terrible level of disappointment to Peter. We can't fight for this person, but fighting is what we do best. Peter is so embarrassed, so ashamed to be associated with such a weak and lowly person. But who was it that Peter was looking for? What about Pilate? Who was he looking for? Perhaps someone a bit more formidable, a bigger challenge. Pilate only knew the violent ways of Rome, and so a kingdom like Jesus, the one he offered, an indefensible kingdom at that, was so utterly confusing. What's so fascinating about each of these characters, Peter, Judas, Pilate, is that all of their misunderstandings of Jesus are part of the process that gets Jesus murdered. It's Judas's cowardly selling him out. It's Peter's silence and failure to come to his defense. And it's Pilate's confusion and ultimately his annoyance at Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries that lead to the death of Jesus. Each of these misconceptions and expectations about who Jesus is supposed to be conspire and lead to his death. But of course, these are not the only characters in this story. It's here where we enter this story as well. The irony of Good Friday is that there's nothing good about it. There's no good characters in this story, except, of course, for Jesus himself. We are more like the characters in the story than we would like to admit. It's our misconceptions. It's our false expectations. It's the answers that we want that led Jesus to his death as well. All too often when Jesus looks at us and says, who are you looking for? Our answers, if we're honest, are no better than that of Judas, Peter, and Pilate. Like them, we too contribute to the deep need of God himself to rescue us from our erring ways. We all too often like to think of ourselves as oh so different than the crowds in Jerusalem that day. We want to be Palm Sunday people, 
shouting the praises of hallelujah. But in reality, far too often, we are the crowds in, in Jerusalem with the cries to crucify him. But this, of course, is what is good about Good Friday. In the honesty of our sin, rejection, and rebellion, Jesus died for us. Jesus dies for you. Jesus dies for me. Jesus dies for us. He died for the ways that, like Judas, we'd backstab and betray him as well. He dies for us in the same way as, just like Peter, in our weakness, we would abandon, we would run, we would hide, we would remain silent. He dies for us like Pilate. As like Pilate, we often do not want the kingdom Jesus offers us. We desire a more powerful type of king. So we'd wash our hands and give him over to be crucified as well. Jesus dies for us. Jesus dies for you. Jesus dies for me. God dies for us all. The profound good news of Good Friday is that Jesus doesn't die for Palm Sunday people. He dies for Good Friday people, which is who we really are. Tonight, we are reminded of the love of Christ and his death on the cross for us a love that comes at the most deep and personal cost to Jesus. And it's also the way that he calls us to follow him. We are reminded on Good Friday that we don't follow Jesus to get where we're going. We follow Jesus to get where he's going. And tonight we're reminded that we are called to follow him to the cross, to endure shame, humility, pain, and suffering. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. We ought to be a cross-shaped people. Like Jesus, we lay our lives down for the sake of others. We love others to the cross and back. We, of course, could never do the type of sacrifice that Jesus did for us. It was total and complete. But Jesus invites us into this way of life that is saturated by a cross. Tonight, we remember that Jesus suffered in our place. He gave his life for ours. He died our death for us. And in a few moments, we'll have a tangible reminder of this as we nail our sins to the cross. So what must our response be? Our response must always be one of repentance and gratitude. We repent for all the ways that like Peter, Judas, and Pilate, we want our own answers to our own questions. And we often don't want the answers that Jesus gives us. We repent for all the ways that we both individually and as a body have failed to be the people God has called us to be. We've failed and chosen other loves over love of God and neighbor. We repent and we see the gravity of sin and evil and the immense cost of the rescue on behalf of God. And our only response is repentance and gratitude. We cry out to God, we're sorry, but we're thankful. We're sorry that our sin resulted in death, but we're grateful 
for the overwhelming grace of God in Jesus Christ who died for us while we were yet his enemies. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.